This episode of Nomad Athlete Radio is brought to you by Spartan's Golden Gate Classic Trail Races with distances from 10K to 100K. And big news, with the help of a partnership with Nomad Athlete, the Golden Gate Classic will be a 100% plant-based event with all plant-based foods at aid stations and race festivities. Learn more about the trail races at goldengatetrailclassic.com. This episode is also brought to you by Nomad Athlete's very own Complement Protein. Complement Protein is made with just five real food ingredients, no additives, fillers, or sweeteners. It was designed to be strong enough to fuel your training and clean enough for our kids. Learn more at lovecomplement.com and use code NOMEAT for $10 off your first order. Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to NOMEAT Athlete Radio. All right, Doug, I got a lot of uh, big news today. Okay, big news, I like it. Let's hear it. I probably have oversold it already. I don't know. We've had a lot of like actual big news in the last couple episodes. So Yeah, um, we actually have. So this is def- definitely not that big. <laughs> um, all right, here's what I got. So, one, I got on personal Instagram. You're trying to get off social media, I'm getting on. <laughs> yep. So I need to plug that. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying. The book thing, like doing these, I, I guess I'm... I don't know. There's this, uh, there's this theory, and I'm blanking on any examples, but like where if you just sort of throw yourself into something, that's like the best way to start to like it or start to, I don't know, get over a fear, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the having to do the 50 interviews, I'm turned into probably 60 now in whatever it was, two or three weeks for the book launch, um, especially all the Instagram lives. Like I just started to really enjoy it. It was really weird because I thought for a long time that I that was the last thing I wanted to be doing was be on social media, like dealing with comments and i don't know just having to kind of perform basically like be on the spot do do live stuff i don't know just didn't want to do it at all and i did it and i started to realize that like i was starting to feel really like exhilarated at the end of them like i was actually helping people and <laughs> it was fun uh uh-huh. so i did it and then i i said well, I, I gotta do more of this and I, I started like looking for things to do i would start like going on the instagram just sitting there the instagram the instagram like account we have that's what that's what i mean by the instagram going on the nomad uh-huh. instagram and just sitting there waiting for people to go live so that i could you know go watch it and then interact and all that so i don't know i just got into it and i thought i sh- i should just do my own thing now i can make because i it, i've always wanted to like do some types of content that just don't fit with nomad athlete um you know certain cooking things or whatever and so i figured i'll just start my own and then i can do those little things plus also do things with nomad athlete so anyway I I made that. I have three posts off to a off to a good start. Well, I uh, I got word because um, our social media person you were having a conversation with her, our nomad athlete social media person about about it, and uh, so I went and checked out your profile, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, I appreciated the um, the first post was a coffee shot. I was like, this is the the quintessential Instagram shot right here. Is uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess coffee. it is. It is a pretty common shot, isn't it? <laughs> no, I thought it was great. I thought it was good. It's an easy one. Uh, it's an easy start first post. I I almost symbolic. proposed that today's episode should be about um about the uh about your social media habits versus my recent social media habits. Mm. That would be interesting. It might be it might make for a good episode. But, you know, it's only been a couple of days for you, so I, I wanted to give you a little bit more space. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> perhaps I'll have something more to say in a little while. Well, uh, you didn't you didn't tell what the handle was. Oh, it's real Matt Frazier. Because not the real, just real Matt Fraser. Did not do the real, no, just did real. The real seemed like too many letters for Instagram. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so I did real, and I only did that because I couldn't get Matt Frazier or Matt Dot Frazier or anything. So not that they're imposters; they're just people who have that name. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I like it. I followed you. <laughs> Good. I, I, I'm at Rock Creek Runner. If anybody wants to find me, although I'm not on there as much anymore. Although you know, who knows? You never know. <laughs> never who knows? Know. We might you might make your comeback just as I'm getting on. I know. I know. Maybe maybe you'll inspire me to get back on social media. Yes. Inspire me to get maybe. off of it. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, speaking of comebacks, that segues into my other one. So this, I mean, really, this is part of, for me of of what has felt like a bounce back overall of everything related to fitness, health, eating, uh, and now sharing that stuff on social media. It just feels like I didn't do these things for several years, and now I. Am doing them for several, or hopefully for several years. Um, so I've actually also started to think about getting back into running, which is not, not, not definite because I still have some major hangups. But my wife, Erin, who's on day three eighty four or something of her running streak. Excellent. Uh, I know. I'm amazed. And she, well, yeah. Let's pause there. How, how much was your running streak, Doug? And why did it end? We were having this discussion, and I didn't know if it ended on your wedding day. Or if mm-hmm. it, you kept doing it after that? No, it, it ended on my wedding day. It was, it was, it started about a week after we got engaged, and uh, I went to this um, this yoga event, and they talked a lot about pilgrimages up to leading up to kind of big life changes, mm-hmm. and um, and I was inspired by that to start a run streak, run streak that would lead up to the wedding day. So it ended on my wedding day with that group run that you were there for. Yep. Um, you and your wife, Aaron, probably ran it with me. Um, yeah, that was the, it led up to the running, to the, uh, to the wedding day. And I think I, I'm blanking on the exact number, but it was like low 400s, 420 something, something like that. Okay. Um, yeah, that's, I was guessing it was 450 something, but I couldn't, I, first, I just didn't realize that for some reason I thought it had started as a wedding day goal and that you had extended it way further than expected. But you, from the beginning, you expect you, that was the plan. Make it yep, that's right. Day, right. That, that was the plan. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I, did, I forgot that. Anyway, she is on that day, uh, for whatever it is, three eighty something. She has no plans of stopping, um, which is cool and good for her. It's been a huge, like, just force in her life for getting her motivated and keeping her on track and all the stuff. So it's been wonderful. But anyway, she ran a half marathon on Sunday uh, in Charlotte. It was extremely hot, uh, which it is in Charlotte. I'm learning. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So that uh, she, you know, it was it was good. She, it wasn't like a PR like she was hoping. I mean, she's in she's in PR shape for sure. But the weather just slowed her down enough that it wasn't. But it was fine. She she did a good thing in, in overcoming the heat. Uh, and it was it was great. And I crew didn't crew, but you know, was there to cheer her on with the kids. And it was mm-hmm. a lot of fun. And at the end of it, I just I just felt that little bit of a tug, thinking like I remember what this what this feels like and what it feels like at the finish line and the accomplishment and the day itself. I don't know. It just it's something about it made running seem attractive to me for the first time in in a really long time and i started to think about this this uh spartan thing that we're of course doing that was at the top of the show um out in november and i was thinking maybe maybe i would do the 50k because i'd really like her to do that 50k i would love her to get into ultra running and i think she would too um and i'm just hoping to give her a little bit of a nudge and say come on go for it um wow but i don't think so i don't think i'm gonna do that okay all right (laughs) but so I think I'll probably end up doing the half marathon distance. And I'm still going to hope and urge her to do the 50K. Uh, but she may not, just because, you know, you make a big trip out there, and then suddenly it's this big looming thing. 
instead of more of just kind of a relaxing, nice time out there. Well, tell her I'm going to run the 50K so we can, okay. we can hang I out in the that. starting corral together. Cool. I didn't know that. I thought you were between that and the 100K. So now I know. I, I am between the, that and the 100K, but I think it's probably 80% chance I'm going to run the 50K. Gotcha. Okay. I just don't think I just don't think I have the 100K in me right now. You know, and and the whole, the whole team will be out there, and, and the 100K is going to wipe me out in a way that the 50K yeah. won't. Right. That That's sort of my thinking with the 50K, and even for Aaron's. Like, it was like, it'd be really nice just to hang out with the team and have a really fun, you know, celebrate that mm-hmm. we're even doing this thing. So to also try to go the longest run you've ever done, just just is a lot. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm encouraging you to do that, but I was thinking that I'd also really like her to run a marathon. This is not me. I mean, it's, I want for her to run a marathon. I want I want for her sake. It's not like I, I demand that she run a marathon. Um, but I just would love it if, if, you know, she got a great marathon result and all that. So um, that I was thinking like that, I I could get back into that, I think. I think I'd get back into marathon running and it seemed exciting. And I thought maybe in the fall before this thing, we could pick one and just do one. It would certainly not be a good performance by me because I haven't been running in years. Um but my fitness is decent, so I think I I think I'll do okay if I just put in a few long runs. And mainly the point would be just get over the hump of not having run a marathon in so long, uh, and then after that decide like do I want to try to I don't know go and get into ultras again or go for some kind of marathon PR, which is really the more exciting one to me. Yeah, that three hour marathon is still so something that I think is like just a bucket list thing. Oh yeah. Um. So I don't know. I but I'm only sharing the news because it is it is significant to me in that I'm thinking about this stuff again and sort of indicative of, of where I've, where I am with the fit in the fitness world right now. So exciting, but mainly I'm sharing that because it segues into our topic today. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I, I so first of all, I'm really excited to hear you say all this and mm-hmm. it, there's just nothing more inspiring than going to a race and actually seeing people finish and seeing the emotion, the raw emotion on their faces uh, at the finish line. And, the struggle that they're going through, you know, leading up to that finish. And I mean, they can talk about it and you can have a beer with a friend afterwards and I'll tell you all about it. But to me, there's just nothing more inspiring to get me to go running than to actually go to a race and watch people running. Um, so I, I love that you were there to cheer her on and then that that kind of sparked something in you. I did just look up my run streak. It was 442 days. You remember, you were closer uh-huh. than I was. Okay. Good. Um, I'll tell her in that. That's the number to shoot for. <laughs> I got it's a number to yeah. beat. No, it's yep. got to be a, do a thousand or something. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't know. I know a guy who did a twelve-year run streak, and it's oh just insane. Yeah. yeah, but anyway, hey, before we get to our topic, though, this is not thanking a sponsor. This is actually good for the listeners. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sponsors aren't good for the listeners. <laughs> well, they're a trade-off. Uh, okay. This is we 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 made good on our, on our drawing promise. And by the way, oh, yes. people, people kind of stepped up in a, in a way that I must say I didn't expect, because we we don't expect a lot of this podcast audience. We know they are they are devoted listeners. They're not always action takers when it comes to doing things that we ask that they do or suggest that they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this case, though, over no not over but fifty people bought a copy of the Plant Based Athlete, uh, and about ten bought multiple copies. Uh, including someone bought four, someone bought three. I mean, people bought decent numbers of copies. Uh, and they all, you know, these people all entered. And this is our drawing that they would win a virtual dinner with me and you, Doug, and maybe Robert Cheek, if I can get him to do it too. Um, 
plus, you know, for them and a guest. And it's just three winners with a guest. So that would make six people plus either two of us or three of us. So eight or nine of us hanging out on Zoom. Uh, we can either cook a, cook a, did we say we're buying dinner? I think we did, right, Doug? Yeah, I think we, we were going to Uber Eats you or whatever, you know, pay for your delivery Yeah. or pickup. Exactly. Within reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway. As long as it's have... an impossible Whopper. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> or equivalent value of an impossible Whopper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, okay, so I'm not going to read last names on here just because probably shouldn't, but uh, Greg, Megan, and Andrea, um, or maybe it's Andrea, I don't know, because the last name is one that, where it could be Andrea. Um, anyway, you're the winners. I, as far as I can tell, there were no duplicate names. At least these names didn't have duplicates, so if that's your first name, 99% chance you actually won. Uh, we'll email you, of course, the details and confirm it. But uh, congratulations. Thanks for entering. Thanks for everyone who, who picked up a copy of the book, helped to make it a New York Times bestseller. Uh, which, like I said many times, was a lifelong dream of mine and Robert's. So uh, fun, and it was and it was cool. We even had someone enter who entered just to enter, but he didn't even want to win. This was our friend Stephen, uh, but just wanted to <laughs> he he wanted to show that podcast listeners don't uh, do nothing; they actually <laughs> do things. So he entered and said, "Please, I don't want to actually win, but I'm entering for the sake of entering." Did <laughs> he? He didn't want to have dinner with me. I'm kind of offended. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know. He's, he's had dinner with us in real life. That's true. That's very true. So, uh, sorry, say the names again. Uh, Greg, Megan, Andrea, slash Andrea. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to meet them. Yeah. Have some and Greg, Greg has been a super supporter of the Nomad or the Plant Based Southie book launch. He's been, he's been at like, there's a few people. Steven's one of them um, who come to almost every single Instagram live we've done. And mm. Greg is one of them. So I'm excited to hang out with him in, in virtual person. Awesome. Yes, definitely. All right, on to the topic. Doug, why don't you set it up since you were the one who had the little little backstory that gave us the Yeah, idea. well, it's actually kind of surprisingly similar to your story here and your personal story, mm-hmm. although you have a lot more experience running than I think uh, this episode is intended to be for, obviously, because you're the one giving a lot of the advice because you've done this many, many times. But um, it, it was it's similar in that... I was talking to a guy, I was at a, a kid's birthday party the other day, I was talking to a guy who um, who had run a half marathon maybe three or four years ago, and uh, with the pandemic, he had gotten out of shape, he had just kind of gotten out of working out, and hasn't been running for many years, hasn't run any races since that half marathon, and he was uh, he was telling me that he was he had kind of decided that this was the year he was going to try to run a marathon, that he really liked that training process for the half marathon, but he wanted to run a marathon, but he had no idea what that would actually look like. Cause it is obviously a lot further than he'd run in a long time and, um, or that he had ever run and, uh, and certainly a training cycle that he hadn't had in a long time. And I think he, now he has kids and you know, all that, all the extra stuff that comes with training now that you're older. So he was just asking me, he's trying to pick my brain. What, what would training look like for a marathon? Um, and so that's kind of the, the idea behind this episode is we want to break down what it would look like if you were going to go out and train for a marathon or an ultra marathon or some sort of even a half marathon, some sort of distance race that you've never done before um, to kind of give you a feel for what to expect and, um, and how to prepare. Yeah. So it's kind of a what to expect if you do it the way we say to do it, basically. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, it's like, because I think you you can easily find what to expect. You just Google and find a training program and then you suddenly see here's what, Here's what it looks like. But mm-hmm. 
I think we both have probably having done many of these each, uh, you know, some amount of experience and wisdom that that would would uh, just just provide a little bit more color to that, perhaps, and and make you more able to understand the way that we suggest it, um, which I think people will find is actually less intense than they expect. Um, and, and so we'll get into that, you know, the specifics of that uh, as we go here. But uh, yeah, let's should we do that or should we thank sponsors, Doug? We can thank our sponsors. It's a great idea, Matt. Thanks. I'm trying to be more responsible <laughs> these days. Matt, we're excited to announce a partnership with Spartan Trail Races, as we just mentioned a few minutes ago. We are helping their new Golden Gate Classic trail race in San Francisco go 100% plant-based. And this Golden Gate Classic is not the Spartan obstacle course racing. It's not an OCR race. It is a true trail race and ultramarathon like you would see in any trail race in ultramarathon. Mm -hmm. No walls to climb or mud pits to crawl through or anything like that. (laughs) No no fire-breathing dragons (laughs) keeping you from the finish line. Uh, Golden Gate Classic. The Golden Gate Classic will be held on November 20th and 21st, and it's part of the Spartan Trail World Championship, a big weekend-long trail and ultramarathon event with races for everyone with 10K half marathon, 50K, and 100K races. Starting in San Francisco, amazing San Francisco, especially for vegan food, you'll travel across the Golden Gate Bridge at sunrise and venture into the fabled Marin Headlands, where spellbinding panoramas of the mountains and sea await. We've we've both spent some time in San Francisco. It is an incredibly beautiful area. I have run in the Marin head, Headlands, and mm-hmm. uh, they are, I don't know, they're unlike any, anywhere else that I've run. It's uh, its just really pretty, challenging, rolling hills slash mountains, and, um, you know, I think it's uh, its a great way to, to run a first trail race. Great place for it. So, Doug, here's a question. I've never done any kind of actual amount of trail running out west. Mm-hmm. Um when I think of trail running in the east, you're always covered by forest. Right. If you're on a trail, you're covered yeah. by trees. My sense is that it's not like that out there, right? You're kind of running among cacti and things. Even when you're in the mountains, there's not really tall trees that are shading you the whole time. It's more like you're out in the open and you can see the ocean the whole time. Uh, I mean, I think it very much depends on where you are. And then okay. um, I bet that there will be, you know, I don't obviously have not run all this whole course, but I bet there will be some wooded areas. Mm-hmm. Um with some probably old growth trees and mm-hmm. then lots of open areas too. I, I don't expect much cacti in San Francisco, but, um, you know, <laughs> kind of just, you know, like open, open fields with tall grasses and bushes and things like that. Yeah. Um, but you know, one of the big differences is that a lot of the trails out there, I mean, like the terrain is different, right? Here we are on the East coast, especially in Western North Carolina, it's very rocky and rooty and very technical. Mm-hmm. Much more buffed out out there, and much much smoother. Ah, okay. Uh, smoother running, which is nice. Good, yeah. So actually, would make a good first trail race if you were concerned. Oh yeah, about make a great first trail race. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Okay, I'll tell Aaron that because she was she she is she's thinking about it. But here's the big part, Doug. We are helping them go 100% plant based for this race. Aid stations, post race food vendors, it'll all be plant based with Nomad Athlete leading the charge in the decisions around what foods to feature because we are a nutritional partner in this race. We're even providing our new real food performance fuel plant bites all over the course. If you've ever run a trail race, you know the challenges of not knowing what vegan foods will be available at the aid stations or when you finish. And, you know, usually you're like in a park or a city street kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Um, if they'll even have anything for you to eat at the Golden Gate Trail Classic, you'll no longer have to worry because we are hooking you up or at least we're helping 
them hook you up. <laughs> um, <laughs> this was a credible opportunity to show show up and to gather as like a as a plant based community. You know, like like we've said, we'll be there. Hopefully, you'll get to run with us and show all the other non plant based runners what's possible on plants. We're thrilled to be working with Spartan for this event and can't wait to uh, show you guys the best darn aid stations ever created. Oh, like that like that line at the end. Did you write that one? I think I think I did write that one. Yeah. <laughs> nice. To learn more and register, go to goldengatetrailclassic.com. As we said, we'll be there. We hope to see you there. This episode of Renomade Athlete Radio is also brought to you by our own new and improved complement protein. A few years ago, unable to find protein powder clean enough to match our healthy diets, we decided to make our own, and the result was a clean five-ingredient formula with real foods. Today, I'm happy to share that the formula recently got an upgrade um, we've now had this for about a, a month or two that we've been rolling this out, swapping out watermelon seed for the vitamin and minimal, minimal, mineral <laughs> rich sunflower seed. It's early. I've hardly had any coffee. <laughs> Our protein uh, checks all the boxes. No additives, fillers, sweeteners, or natural flavors. No secret ingredients hiding behind a special blend. A flavorless taste for mixing, blending, and baking it into other real food ingredient ratios printed right on the bag so you know exactly what you're getting and it's been third party tested for purity and potency um matt did you i don't know if you heard this uh, someone shared um on slack uh kind of a live taste testing of of someone drinking c-pro for the first time calent protein mm-hmm. for the first time mm-hmm. did you listen to that i think you may have told me about this okay it was just so classic because he he poured it in some water. He had, he had been drinking a chocolate protein shake. He was kind of taste testing a bunch of them. He had been drinking a chocolate protein shake. And then he poured it into some water, and he's, like, tasting it. And he's like, you know, this kind of tastes like, and he, like, pauses for a minute. He's like, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and we were, I was like, my arms just went straight up in the air. I was so right. excited because that's exactly, exactly what we're going for with this. We're not adding all the sweeteners. We're not trying to mask any of the flavors. We're not trying to, um, you know, make it do anything other than provide the real fruit ingredients um, because that's what we think should belong in a protein powder. Yeah. And I mean, if I hope, I hope someone told him that the point is not to drink it with water, but to drink it with yeah. smoothie. I'm sure that would have ruined his taste test because the point is to compare them all, I guess, side right, by side. Right. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's exactly what we were going for that. It would taste like nothing but the smoothie that you put in into. Or yeah. Whatever the, let let into. the food be the flavor. You can put it in pancake mix. You can put it in exactly, you know, smoothies. You can do it. I mean, anything you want. Get your first bag at lovecompliment.com and use code NOMEAT for $10 off at checkout. That's lovecompliment.com and use code NOMEAT for $10 off your first order. All right, now to the episode. I guess first, the first question is, you know, when are you ready to actually run a marathon or an ultramarathon? Yes, that is the big question. Um, man, it's been so long that I don't even know the, like the, guidelines but to me they don't really matter i mean i think it used i think it was like having mileage base of like 12 to 15 miles per week and if you're doing that and you've, you've done it for several months then you know you're probably good to start training because training is going to entail a couple you know several three mile runs maybe a four mile run and then during the week and then your long run which might start at five or six miles and go up from there um mm-hmm. so yeah i don't know like i think you you generally should be running I, you don't have to have run a half marathon um although i would suggest that you do that in the process of your training um but i i'm guessing there's a lot of people who at, at this phase haven't run a half marathon or it's been a really long time since they did you know coming out of this pandemic and 
maybe they wonder if they like have to get into half marathon shape. And I would actually encourage people not to do that. I think that's kind of a subtle form of procrastination. Uh, I know I do it, but we all, a lot of times in the name of like, you know, being responsible and being as prepared as we can, we actually avoid doing the hard, scary thing. And we say, well, I'll just do this known quantity, which is train for a half marathon because I've done that before. And I'll get back into that shape before I think about marathon. So of course you take on a little more risk when you do that. But I think you also, uh, you kind of light a, a fire in your head that makes it really exciting because now you don't have to do this thing first. You just jump right into the, to the process. Um, so, uh, you know, that would be my main advice is have some running base, um, have been running for a few months solid where you're, you know, you're doing four or five runs a week. Maybe you're getting in that 12 to 15 miles. And I think, I think if you want it after that, and you've kind of got the the space in your life for it, which we'll talk about, but that's not, not that much. I don't think not as much as people, people assume it is, uh, then I think you're ready. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think, um, you know, you don't have to, like you said, you don't have to be in half marathon shape. You don't have to be in the shape that is, you know, lower than whatever race you're, you're running. And, and, um, you know, you mentioned the, uh, it is form of procrastination, but I also think that it's also, a, you know, you increase the risk of burnout, especially if like, if you're not racing consistently for, you know, all year long and that kind of thing, but you're just trying to go for this one goal. If you, mm-hmm. if you dedicate three months to train for a half marathon and get in great half marathon shape, and then you want to then dedicate another three months to the marathon and, and, you know, keep pushing for the next three months, like six months is a really long time to, you know, yeah. be in a training plan. Yep. And, uh, and your risk of burnout is, is significant. So, you know, if you're, if you're running consistently, which is what I would say, I, I'm not even I'm all that concerned about mileage, but if you're running, you know, three to five times a week, uh, for a couple miles, a handful of miles, um, each time, then, uh, I think you're going to be in a, in a good position to, to start a training plan. And obviously like if you're only running, you know, eight miles a week versus 20 miles a week, then, then you're going to need more time in that training plan. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, but if, if you're running consistently, cause I think that's the hardest part that people struggle with when they're about to start training for something is to go from no consistency to now suddenly having to run five times a week. Right. Um, you know, if you, if you're coming in with a little bit of consistency, then you're probably going to be ready to go. And, you know, I sh- we should probably say that a lot of people run marathons at, with like three weeks of training, right? They, yeah. they, you know, a lot of people do this stuff with no formal training plan with, um, you know, at the very last minute, they just never really start training and then they just kind of go out and try to do it. We're, we're not, you know, that's certainly possible. And, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I guess there is some things wrong with that from an injury perspective, but you know, we're not here to like judge that at all, but we're, I think what we're going to lay out is, um, is it the ability to run a marathon or an ultra marathon or even a half marathon, um, with, and, and, and feel good about it. Yeah. Enjoy right. it. Yes. And yeah. Not just to check off the box of having done it because it's very, I remember after my first marathon, I felt like I had, my training had gone so badly that as much as it was cool that I had achieved this thing, in the back of my mind, it felt like I hadn't really done it yet because I, mm-hmm. I ended up having to walk from mile 18 on, you know, pacing was so bad. I was injured during the training and all. so I did plenty of this training, but like, it just wasn't good. So yeah, the point would be like, do one the way they're kind of meant to be done where you get the benefits of having done a marathon, which is like the fitness thing, the discipline thing, the stuff that, that is really what it's about. Um, rather than just 
getting that medal. You know, it's not it's not really about that. So, mm-hmm. Doug, um, you you mentioned ultra marathons, of course. Like, do you think the same of an ultra marathon, or is that is that a different as far as like you know starting criteria, or do you think you think you need to be a more experienced runner, like have run a marathon, or mm-hmm. you know have have trail running experience? Like, what I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, I actually don't. Um, you know, if we're talking about the 50k race, which is kind of the lowest uh, ultra marathon distance that they hold races for, mm-hmm. uh, which is the first place I would say to start. Like, no matter how many marathons you run or how excited you are about a 50 miler or a 100 miler or something like that, like I really think that getting the experience of a trail ultra marathon um, mm-hmm. at the 50k distance is is the absolute place to start. Whereas I don't know if you have to run a half marathon before a marathon. I don't yeah. think you do. No, uh, except so. in your training, I guess. But um, so I do. I do highly recommend starting at a 50k. And if that's the case, you know, I don't know that I don't know that you really need that much more experience to do that than you would to to run a road marathon. It might take a little bit more time um, of training, and you uh, are certainly going to want to spend more time on the trail. But you can do that throughout training as well. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean. To me, at like, because I I will suggest later that people not have a time goal for their first marathon. I really think the goal should be just to finish. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you might you might be able to finish strong and run well and not have to walk like I did in mine. Um, but I just think I think having a time goal it sets you up for too much too much disappointment where your whole six months went into something and then it turned out you didn't get what you wanted. Worse, in trying to hit that time goal, you like I did, you you end up blowing up and and then your race feels like a disaster. Um, so I, I would I would encourage that. So I think with that in mind, the ultra marathon, I don't know, doesn't feel to me that different from a marathon. Uh, it you're certainly going to be out on the course longer because you're on trails and it's also five miles longer than a marathon. So uh, it's going to end up taking twenty percent more time, perhaps, uh, which is significant. It means you're out there for six hours instead of four and a half or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's different in that way, but the intensity is less. There's more walking, at least walking is, you know, kind of more acceptable as far as like you just being part of a strong, good race. There can be lots of walking built into a 50 K. Um, and I guess that's true of a marathon too, but many people think of a marathon more as like, you're mostly running. Uh, you only walk if you get too tired or something. Right. Um, so anyway, uh, I think, I think you're right. I think like your, if your mindset is there and you understand it's going to be lower intensity, but you're just out there longer, um, then I think you're right. It doesn't have to be, you know, harder than a marathon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The training will look a little bit different. Um, and you should prepare for that. And, you know, cause like you said, the, you are going to spend a lot more time out there, but, uh, you know, I don't think you need to start with a marathon and a lot of people yeah. do, do assume that, that you would want to check off the marathon box before you can, right. can right. do a half to can do an ultra. But if the ultra is inspiring to you and a road marathon is not like, again, that's another form of procrastination, another kind of excuse not to ever do it. Yeah, exactly. So, all right. I mean, so you know, say you're ready. What you know, thinking about this this guy I was having a conversation with, um, you know, he he's like, you know, I want to do it. Like, when can I do it? You know, can I sign up for one that's two months away? Should I sign up for one that's in the fall or in the winter? You know, mm-hmm. what does training actually look like? How far should you plan for it? And um, and then you know, how much will your life have to get disrupted, uh, you know, once you're actually in the heat of training? Yes. Uh, all good questions to me, 16 to 18 weeks is typical for 
marathon training plans. Obviously, there are longer ones that go six months if you want them to. Um, th- there's the 12 week versions that are usually faster and quicker. For a first marathon, I actually think you need more than 12 weeks to build up. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, depending on your your base ahead of time, but that that build up is just. I mean, the hu- the big thing about marathon training for the first time is will you get injured or not? That that's just a, a huge thing. And and those long runs, the first time you in your life you run 14, 16, 18 miles within you know two weeks of the of the previous one, perhaps. Um, that that's a big build up, and it's tough on your body, and it just it just is hard. So I I think having the longer training cycle. Um, with built-in flexibility, meaning like hopefully you can have a week off, not not off, but a, but a reduced Down mileage week. week. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So like you might run 15 miles one day and then nine miles the next week, the next long run day. And then, then you're up to 17 or 18 or whatever it is next. Um, and in that way, if something's going wrong, like if there's an injury happening or, you know, life gets in the way or whatever, you don't want to miss one of those runs that just not good for your training. You don't want to go from 14 to 18 jump like that. So having having some extra flexibility in there uh, generally is a good thing because you can move things around, you can you know shuffle things up, you can wait a week if you're if you're recovering from something. So I just think giving yourself a little bit longer than twelve weeks is a good idea. Um, and so the other thing is like, and this is this is kind of like although it is a lot of training, although it seems like a lot, uh, I actually think most people assume that marathon training must naturally just like take over your life that it just becomes this huge thing and like it kind of does become this huge thing mentally it's it's this if if it's going well and you're you know you're kind of supposed to be doing this right now it will become all you think about which is right. fun it becomes an you, obsession yeah you know, right and especially as you lead up to the race and and i think it's fun that that's part of the experience and like so that means like on friday nights if you're running along on saturday your friday night's going to be affected you're going to start you're going to start going to bed earlier or preparing your food ahead of time or your, your, you know, your, uh, water bottles or whatever. Like you have all this stuff and it's just like, it's, it's expands, but the actual time spent training is compared to like a normal healthy fitness habit of say going to the gym, uh, three to four times a week and you spend 45 minutes there, uh, which is not really that much exercise and it doesn't have to be going to the gym. It could be anything. It's really not all that much more than that because that's basically what your weekday mileage takes right? right you don't have to run more than three times a week necessarily in, in the, during the weekdays uh you could do more if you want but you don't have to and then you've got the long run on the weekend so it's basically like are you willing to add a long a weekend long run to an otherwise pretty normal typical fitness schedule and that's all it is if you're willing to add add 16 of those to, on your saturdays or sundays you can usually have the flexibility to pick uh then you can get a marathon done without without taking on crazy amounts of extra time commitments and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And your long runs for the first half of that twelve week or fifteen week plan aren't actually all that long. You know, I mean, right. we're talking eight miles, ten miles, twelve miles. I mean, that that is a long way if you've never run that distance before. But you know, it might be an hour, an hour and a half, two hours uh, of time. We're we're not talking about like a six hour long run uh, every weekend for fifteen weeks. Right. Right. And I guess to be fair. When your runs do get up to 12, 16, 18 miles, like the time it takes from you, kind of like what I said, like your Friday night starts to become mm-hmm. impacted. Now your Saturday afternoon and Saturday evening becomes impacted too because you're you're in recovery mode and you're right. trying to eat and you're trying to foam roll and you don't feel like getting off the couch. So like if you have kids and you say, hey, honey, I'm going to train for a marathon, 
very often as soon as you walk in the door from your long run you're being handed the baby <laughs> right it's not right. like because you've been gone for the last couple hours and they yeah. were like looking at the clock waiting waiting for you to get home <laughs> right. yeah yeah no it, it that's very true and it is very different i mean i remember you know for years in training i would in my long run every saturday i'd come home i would take a shower eat a little bit and then i would take an hour long nap every saturday <laughs> <laughs> and uh and you know so it'd be like one o'clock in the afternoon before i actually did anything yeah now right. it's very very different you know now i have to wake up before dawn to get my long run in and um you know and i come home and and the, the family is just finishing breakfast or whatever and they're ready to go to the market or go <laughs> you know wherever and i need to rush the shower and get and join them right um but, but you, you kind of get used to that yeah and and although that is I guess a hassle or like extra commitment you need to need to work out. That's also like those are good memories to me of the time mm-hmm. spent because you're you're on a high from you just finished your first time ever running 16 miles or 18 miles or whatever or your first 20 miler. I mean it's it's a it's a feeling of exhaustion and your legs feel weird and you know you're putting on the recovery socks and like you don't know you just you're kind of basking in the fact that you just did that and then totally. you think about the next yeah. week and it's fun. It's it's not a bad time. It's not not as bad as like having to be at the gym those hours and so, there's there's nothing sweeter than like crawling into bed at 9 p.m on that saturday night after the long run after oh, having yeah. not <laughs> yeah. not after anything and like oh man Definitely. it's just so good yeah um so anyway, yeah so is, so doesn't have to take over okay. your life. the point is it's not i don't think not quite the commitment that people think it is. i think people hear marathon or ultra marathon and they think that means that that's all that person does mm-hmm. in their free time which mm-hmm. is probably true of like iron man triathlon i think that is that way because you have to train all the three sports, and somehow it seems like you, your training volume triples. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, you know, it's just it's just not that way with with the things we're talking about. Well, and it it can be right. I mean, you know, if, you if wanted you're to, yeah, for sure. if you're trying to really improve your speed on the marathon, and you know, you're doing a lot of additional training, or if you're running a hundred miler or a, even a you know fifty miler or something like that, and trying to really maximize your training, then it, it can become that. But if you're if you're running your first marathon, your first 50 K ultra, your first half marathon. Um, yes, it's going to be a little bit of a commitment and certainly on the long, on the weekends, you'll have this additional long run that you probably haven't done before. But like you said, during the week, you know, if you're going out for 45 minutes, an hour, 70 minutes, like that's pretty standard for a, for a run. And that's also pretty standard for what you would be doing if you went to the gym. Right. And so that's a nice segue into the next topic, right? Cause people always want to know, are you supposed to cross train during it? Well, and... so I, I just want to I want to add one more thing before we move on. Okay. Um, and that is around uh, what you said with you know the timing twelve to fifteen weeks. Um, I think that it expands a little bit for an ultra marathon if unless you have more of a a base. You know, I would say fifteen weeks is probably the minimum I would I would recommend for someone who's training for the first fifty k if they've never run a marathon before if they're not if they haven't been training regularly, uh, just because you know, we are talking about a bit more time on your feet and you build a bit more ramp up throughout the training. And so to have that extra time to make sure that you're uh, getting in the hours on the trail or on the road in, in preparation for that, I think is important. I remember that during my first, when I ran my first marathon and I had come from, uh, my base was um, three times, three miles a week on a treadmill at the gym to now jumping into a marathon training and it was way more aggressive than it should have been. It was way harder of a training plan than, than I should have done. Um, but I just remember like literally every Monday wobbling into work, you know, (laughs) like, 
coworkers would say, Doug, I just don't think that this is good for you. Like you can hardly walk and you haven't even run the marathon yet. Like you're doing the marathon wobble, but you've only run 15 miles, you know? Right, right. Um, and, uh, and my body was just like breaking down. It just like couldn't handle uh, the intensity that I was, I was giving it to it. So if I had spaced that out a little bit or allowed, had, because it was a 12-week intensive program, if I, had, um, if I had given a little bit more room to have those down weeks like you were talking about, then, uh, then I think I would have been in much better shape to do that. Also, I, had, I was doing way more speed work than I should have been. And that's kind of one thing we want to talk about as well is, um, you know, if you're running your first race or even your second, uh, you know, speed work really isn't the priority. It's much more about getting mileage in. Yeah. So we can talk about that actually right along with cross training because it's, it's very similar philosophy here. Um, mm. So, like, of, of course, part of a really good, sound, solid training plan for your fastest marathon, speed work is part of that. Uh, different kinds of workouts, tempo runs, you know, long runs that have that are close to race pace or some, some amount of time, 15, 30 seconds per mile over your race pace. Um, that's all part of running your fastest marathon. To me, that stuff should not be part of your first marathon. Uh, what I the, One of the huge mistakes I made in my training for my first few marathons actually was trying to basically training too hard. Uh, you know, race, I would, I would go out, like, I just didn't know better. I wasn't a runner. And so I didn't know that you shouldn't like, it seemed like if you want to run a certain pace for your marathon, say qualify for Boston, then you should be, that's what you should do your long ones at because it starts out so short. You're only doing six miles. So, so certainly you can not certainly, but you can hopefully keep that pace for six miles. If the goal is to do it for 26 mm-hmm. and then it would make sense that make every week after that you're increasing that distance a little bit but holding that same pace and you get stronger and stronger that's sort of how a typical i don't know fitness training works but it, it doesn't really work that way with with this when you go out for long runs like that especially the first time first time you're ramping up for this the toll that takes on your body is enough that you really need to be running it like two minutes slower than what you think what you probably could if you had to what you could run it on that day uh, mm-hmm. like really, really slow so that it, it feels like at no time until the last few miles of it, does it even feel like you're really doing any work. You're kind of just, you're at that all day pace where you're, you're just out there getting the time in, getting the miles in, but it shouldn't be tiring or anything like that until you're nearing the end of it. And so the same philosophy really, in my opinion, goes for the, during the week stuff. Uh, you might as well just do everything easy runs because that's how you maximize the recovery you're going to get. You're going to get some benefit because you're putting in more miles. You're still burning calories. Um, to me, like the the way to run a first marathon is sort of de-risk everything, get rid of the injury risk by sticking to easy runs. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I will certainly acknowledge that you you give up some fitness benefit if you do this. You give up the chance that like you'll do a few little short, maybe once a week, do kind of a workout run. Um, and, and I guess this is the time to go into this. I also think for the most part, you should you should not do very much other training. Uh, again, just because like once you're inexperienced at running, perhaps you can and, and should know what types of cross training are good for you and helpful for you. Uh, but to me, they just increase the injury risk. I was trying to lift weights hard. So when I trained, my first, trained for my first marathon, so like the first time I ever ran nine miles was on a Saturday. And the next day, Sunday, I was doing squats and deadlifts in the gym. <laughs> because I just didn't, I just didn't know that you can't do both of these things together. Your body has to recover, uh, and even though they're different activities, they're they're still working some of the same muscles. And and even if they weren't, your body just needs that downtime so it can focus entirely on recovering from something hard, 
mm-hmm. rather than introducing new issues. So, you know, this is like this is for the person who really wants to get that race done. Uh, and, and I would say like the best way to do it for me is get it done, and then once you've got one under your belt, then start thinking about how can I now do it in a way that that you know also gains fitness in certain areas or, or preserves fitness in in the the type of gym stuff I already do. Uh, but I just think I just think the the overriding factor in a in a first marathon is the risk of injury as the mileage goes up, and yep. that's what everything to me should be kind of combating. Uh, and but the result is going back to the same thing we mentioned earlier, like it ends up being something that you can do and finish strongly and feel good about how you did without it having overtaken your life and been this huge massive endeavor. Mm-hmm. Hey everybody, we are coming in several hours later because my internet went out and we couldn't do anything. So if there is something weird on this jump in, weird jump in the conversation, then then we apologize. But I think I know where we left off, Matt. I, I okay. even took notes, which is good. Wow, yes. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I'm being, yeah, we're legit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so I completely agree with everything you were saying about speed work and cross-training um, really not a ton to add there, except that, you know, in relation to cross training in particular, uh, unless you're running a hundred, 120 miles a week, unless you're like really maxing out what your body's capable of on mileage, then my general philosophy is that the more you run, the better runner you're going to be. And, um, you know, of course, uh, swimming or cycling or something like that is, is good cross training in, in, in that it can build fitness and give your, your body a little bit of a break, but, uh, especially as you're building up to a first marathon or ultra marathon or something like that, you know, getting in the time on your feet, getting in the mileage, uh, is going to be way more beneficial than trying to add in a different sport to, for, you know, for cross training purposes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The only exception I could think of is if you were building up to a first marathon, you were doing what we advise, which is not going crazy with the training. Uh, you're not training too hard. You're doing mostly easy runs. You're not doing 50 mile weeks or anything like that mm-hmm. you know and, and you felt you found yourself with more, like if you're just a big fitness person in general and you just found yourself with extra time still mm, sure uh, you know maybe then maybe then just uh, the thing is like you shouldn't be trying to make gains in other areas during this time but like to just sort of do some maintenance work and you know keep some strength uh, you know as long as you plan it not too close to the long run especially because that's your only difficult run of the week really if you're doing what we suggest here uh you know you could probably still still get it done if you like actually didn't want more mileage and running is not your main thing, you're just trying to do a marathon, but maintain your fitness in other areas. I could see that being a place to do it, but yeah, that's a great distinction. And I guess, you know, I wasn't trying to say like, once you're training for a marathon, that means you can't go out on a mountain bike ride or, you know, go Mm -hmm. play tennis with your, you know, your friends. Um, you know, that stuff is great. Uh, but replacing intentionally replacing workouts. I think a lot of people think that, you know, they, they cross training is this kind of great, training tool for, um, getting better at a sport. Yeah. And, and, you know, and it can be, it definitely can be, but, uh, intentionally replacing runs with a different sport probably isn't, uh, the best move. Right. I tried that when I was trying to qualify for, qualify for Boston with the program that ultimately was successful for me was the run less run faster program where you did these three hard running workouts per week. And then the, the idea of that program was that in between those, instead of doing easy miles, you would instead do cross training so that you could you could preserve you know the mile not not have too much mileage keep keep your legs fresh for running and 
I hated it. It was terrible. Like it just, it was just so, I don't know. It's like if, if you're only running is the hard stuff. I feel like those, the, this is totally just kind of made up, but I feel like the, the easy run like allows your body to sort of like work through the stuff that you did the day before that, that was so hard. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and you go easy enough that it doesn't tax you at all, but it just feels like a necessary part of it to me that you just need it. And then you come back feeling so good the next day uh, rather than getting in a, a cross training workout. I don't know, but who knows? I don't have any science for why that is, but I just, it worked so much better for me when I actually did the miles. Cause I, I do yeah. think like of anything, like if, if your goal here is not just run one race, but this is the beginning of you being a runner. Uh, if and the, the thing to me that is the single most important factor is basically how many total miles have you run in your life? That, that mm-hmm. to me is like mm-hmm. determines how good you are as a runner, uh, genetics aside. Um, and, I know like when I qualified for Boston seven years into the, being a runner, I was just, it was just so different. It just felt so different to run after that amount of time uh, because I had gotten the miles in and you, I couldn't have run like that in the first year, no matter how in shape I was. Right. So yep. yeah, I just think there's no substitute for, for mileage as long as your body can handle it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree. And you know, you mentioned speed work as well and, and not having that be any sort of priority, you know, maybe uh, not doing any speed work at all, just like all easy runs um, during your first you know, tra- training, building up to a first marathon or half mar- or ultra marathon. And, uh, and, and I, I think I agree with you there as well. The only exception is that I would, uh, encourage people to have a little bit of variety in, in the, maybe the terrain that they're running in or, or something just so it's not all the exact same pace, the exact same, mm-hmm. you know, loop that you're doing over and over again, but add in, you know, a, a, a hillier route, you know, that doesn't mean doing yeah. hill sprints or anything like that, but having a little bit of variety, if you're not, and you get that when you, when you're a little bit more advanced and you're adding in speed work as well. Um, but if you're just doing all easy runs, um, then having, having a bit of variety, uh, in the, in the route, I think is, is good. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, a, as you improve and as you train for more of these races, even when you are intentionally adding in speed work, and even when that is a critical part of your training plan to, you know, hit a goal time or something like that, uh, it's still only going to be maybe at max, probably a third of, of your training. Yeah. The rest, the other two thirds are going to be easy runs. And I think a lot of people don't understand that or don't, don't realize that they think that if you're training at a high level, then you should be going hard all the time. And that's just not the case. Yeah. Right. Which is, which is what, once you get used to it and into it and I don't, or if you find some sort of entertainment to do while you do it, uh, running can be one of the easiest ways to keep in shape because most of your time you're not working that hard. You're just, you're just out there <laughs> relaxing and moving and feeling mm-hmm. comfortable for the most part. Uh, and then now boredom becomes a factor, especially on those easy runs. But if that's why I said, if you have something to listen to or, or if you just don't get boredom runs, then, uh, yeah, that, I think you're right. People, people think just like they think marathon training must take over your life. They also think that if they hear you're running 30, 40, 50 miles a week, they think, wow, that's just so hard. But, so much of it is not it's just it's just so much is easy mileage yeah yeah absolutely <clears throat> all right so uh are we on to race day yeah I, th- I mean i think so okay i've got some tips that actually are two of them involve pre-race day but they're they're based all, i have three things here that and they're all based on big mistakes that i made and okay. i and i'm guessing almost everyone makes them uh but you, you know what I, I do have a question before we get to this, and maybe okay. this is actually going to lead into the to some of your race day tips. But one okay. thing you said uh, is to not have a um, like a goal time in mind. Mm-hmm. That was one of your advice earlier, and and I agree with it. But I'm curious because I think that this is the 
where a lot of beginners struggle is um, without a goal race in mind, how do you know, like, roughly, you know, how fast you should run and, and train? And on race day, like, you know, if you know, how do you know you're on track to feel good and that kind of thing? Yep. So that is, that is one of my three uh, mistake-driven tips, actually. Oh, perfect. One of them is know what pace you can probably run the race at and what would be a good pace for you to race. So this does not mean that your race is a failure if you don't hit the target. Mm-hmm. But the assumption is you do want to run the race somewhere near the fastest that you're able to run it so that you don't f- regret later saying, wow, like I kind of probably could have gone harder. You don't want that. You, you want it to be a race that was hard to finish, but you did, and, and you didn't blow up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I feel like it was my first probably th- two or three marathons where, like, the night before the race, I was like, I don't really have any plan for how fast I'm supposed to run tomorrow. I just didn't know, like, because I, I had gotten to the point where I was now training, like I suggested earlier, training these long runs, not at race pace, not at anywhere near any goal pace, but just roughly a minute or two slower than you think you could run that day. And that's, that is crucial in an early first or second marathon to me, because if you do that, that 15 miles and you do it kind of hard, you know, that's not something that you come back and do another long run the next week from, or, or mm-hmm. get right back mm-hmm. to training two days later. Uh, not the first time you've run 15 miles. If you run it, if you run it near your maximum, you know, potential speed of doing it, uh, that, that'll take you two weeks until your bat body's back to normal from that. Mm-hmm. And so you can't do that time and time again. So anyway, so you're, you're going really slowly on long runs. Um, so then, then there's all this, you know, uncertainty about what pace could you actually handle. And to me, the way to figure that out is, is do a test effort. I mentioned at the very beginning here that you could run a half marathon during your training, not just that many miles, but you could actually sign up for a race and do a half marathon. And I think that would be a very, very wise thing to do if you were mm-hmm. able uh, build the half marathon into your day or in, into your training program. You can do it like say in place of a 16 mile run, if you want to actually race it and do it hard. And like I was just saying, if you actually go hard a race effort on that, you'll need to respect that and treat it as if it was a much longer run and, and understand that there's going to be a little recovery from it. Or you could put it in place of a 13 or 14 or 12 mile run. Um, since it's 13.1 and, and actually run it easy like you would any other long run and just get the race day experience. Uh, but that's not as good because really, like, you want to get a pace. You, you want to have a something you can use to gauge. And so what you would do is you, you race, take this half marathon race time. You can also do this with a 10K or even a 5K, but the, the longer it is, the more accurate. Uh, and then go find a, a running calculator online, of which there are several. There used to be one from uh, McMillan, but I think he made that, I think he made that cost money now. Uh, but there are charts and things where they will extrapolate a half marathon pace into a marathon pace. And, of course, it's, it's the half marathon is is more than twice as fast as what the marathon would be because there's you would you would have to have a lower per mile pace to go 26 miles at that pace than you would 13. Right. So anyway, but like the, the better so 10k would be fine half marathon but like something that would at least within 15 or 20 seconds you'll have a sense of where you can reasonably expect to run this race assuming similar weather and similar course which you may or may not have but at least you have an idea. But I was showing up to the start line really like a minute error on either side of what I would could reasonably do today. And that wasn't good because what that does is leads into the potential for the huge mistake. If you show up without uh, like with that much of a margin of error for how fast you're able to run, you're going to end up at the fast side of it. You're going to be trying to do the fast side of it. At least that's how I am, right? If I, if I think I could either run somewhere between eight and 10 minute miles today for this marathon, then I'm going to be running eights in the, in the first six, seven, eight miles of the race. 
mm-hmm. because you get it's just so hard on race day you're so excited and it's fun especially if it's like a big race yeah and there's all these people running and they're all going fast and there's this if you happen to start near the front and you and you're going to run an eight minute pace you're going to be getting passed by people for the first you know four miles of the race probably and you're going to feel like you're not keeping up so there's just all these forces that will make you go faster than you probably should or can that day mm-hmm. um, and if you're if you're in a a big race then you have to like start in a crowd based on your estimated finish time and uh you know you're always going to go for that faster time because you don't want to be starting in a slow crowd right you know? <laughs> right right, so, right, so you're right down the fast time uh-huh. yeah and this is exactly what happened to me and I, I i my first marathon i ran the first mile under seven minutes and and my goal time that day was qualified for boston which was just ridiculous but it was and that would have been a 715 pace and and I I was I ran a six fifty or something for the first mile because I was with friends. We're like, oh man, this is awesome. And and like, as stupid as this sounds, something in my brain said, this is race day. This is different. You can you can handle this, because right because right in those first few miles, it feels like you can. Mm-hmm. But you know, with any experience at all, you realize that that's just asking for a complete disaster. Mm. Um, and so this you know the tip is start slower than you think. If, as long as you know roughly where you can be then just be conservative and, and go for the slow side of that. The rule of thumb is that for every minute too fast you run the first half of a marathon, you will lose two minutes in the second half. So too fast meaning faster than you actually are capable of maintaining the pace that day. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't know what you don't know what that number is, but if you, well, unless you've done some good testing. Uh, but yeah, so so the the cost of starting too fast is, is a lot. And it ends up with, you know, after mile 20, it's just a suffer fest. And you feel like, you know, regretful and you feel somehow, uh, I felt like almost guilty. Like, I can't believe I blew everything like that. Like, what was I thinking? Mm-hmm. And I just wasted all that, you know, or I told people to come watch me or whatever. Um, and it, I don't know, like it can, it can leave, make the last hour of your race be this awful experience where it's just, you're just beating yourself up and you're it's hurting and you can't imagine how you're going to get yourself to go three or four more miles. It's terrible compared to, starting slower than you think and speeding up in the second half because it turned out that you you could have been a little faster mm-hmm. you know that's still not it's not going to get you your perfect best possible time but it makes such a nice experience compared to the one where you you know died at mile 20 so um well and think- and and to be clear i mean no matter unless you're going way slower than you are capable of it's still going to be hard the last half of the race and especially sure. the last yeah. you know six miles uh, but if you're able to, you know, keep pushing and, and stay consistent with that, that pace, it's just so different. Like you said, than like fighting the walk and, you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's the worst feeling. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think probably no one will actually listen to this because you, I just don't think you can <laughs> believe it until it happens to you. Mm-hmm. And it's even worse than an ultra marathon. Mm-hmm. I mean, way worse. <laughs> you got so much more to go. Right. <laughs> so much more to go. And you're also like oftentimes all by yourself. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So the, well, are you done with that one? Uh, yeah, I didn't get my third tip, but, but. Okay. Well, let me, let me do, uh, as far as tip goes, mm-hmm. that tip goes with ultra running. If you're running a 50 K trail, 50 K, especially, you know, and if you're, if you haven't been out on the course, then, you know, all these calculators and estimates and things like that probably aren't going to really serve you at all because the terrain could be so vastly different between, mm-hmm what, you know, one race to the next. Um, so, you know, my rule of thumb, especially for longer races, but you know, if this is your first 50 K, uh, then it, it should apply here too. Probably is if you feel like you're going too slow, you're, you got to slow down. 
and because um, you're you always like you're going, going to be going too if fast. You feel like you're going too fast, right? No, no. If you feel like you're going too slow, slow down. Like ah. always be thinking about going slower. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> it's a little play on words, man. Come on. I like it. I like it. I just thought it was a mistake, but I, I guess. <laughs> no, if, you're th- if you feel like you're going too fast, and you're definitely going too fast. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. That is really true. Um. Yeah. You know. And and I just you know I think that there's just no there's no reason to push at all for the first half of a of a fifty k. Uh, no. of an ultra marathon just you know lock in your your all-day pace lock in something that's comfortable and easy because you're going to be out there for six seven eight hours and uh and the thought of kind of pushing a little bit harder at the beginning to maybe get into position or uh because you're fired up and you want to you know run with some other people or something like that like it's just uh you're going to regret that uh you know 50 <laughs> times or every mile you're going to regret that for the next 50 <laughs> um so, you, can't, you can't even put into words how painful it is. I mean, just what a horrible experience it is to have gone too fast in the first half of a race. It's just oh, yeah. the worst. Yeah, you'll you'll swear off running. You'll swear off yeah, ultra running. You quit. You'll swear. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You, you quit, and then you might come back, but at that moment you'll quit. <laughs> yeah. How many, how many times have you quit during? Oh, uh, so many times. Yeah. yeah. I mean, probably five or six times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um. So so that's that's kind of the this the difference. I guess with the ultra is, is, you know, just kind of even just forget about time altogether and just can keep moving forward as, you know, yeah. whatever. You I think when I cool. first ran an ultra, the advice that I was given by people who'd run many, many hundred milers, they said, you definitely want to walk all the hills. And mm-hmm. I was a, you know, I was in Boston marathon qualifying shape. I was pretty good marathoner at that point relative to, you know, my potential. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they said, you definitely want to be walking the hills from the start of, of these races. doesn't mean you have to forever, but for your first one, uh, of course, depending on the course, it just it just to me seems like a safe bet until you sort of establish a baseline for what what your fifty k pace was. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Which is hard to do when you're you know a mile and a half in and you're like, yeah. you know got all this energy and all this enthusiasm and you're like walking a hill. But you'll find that most people are walking, and then you'll see the like the kid who uh, <laughs> you know who's who without a shirt on, just like you know. <laughs> feeling real good about himself that just starts flying up passing everybody and you'll see that guy again you will pass that guy 20 miles later trust me (laughs) and when you do don't say anything but just you know you can think you can think to yourself (laughs) i listened to doug and matt and i walked up that right (laughs) exactly you don't want to be that guy no you don't want to be that guy all right and so my last tip um is actually something you do before race day and that is to use your long runs to rehearse everything and dial in everything so like in my my first few races I was really only using the long run to get the mileage in. And I was always just wondering if I would finish the long run because it brings on its own stress and, you know, uncertainty. But as I've got, as I got better at running and did more of it, I started to realize what an opportunity those long runs are. Like when you have a 20 mile run planned, uh, and as I said, you're going to do your, the Friday night, you're going to be thinking about it already. So you'll be getting in bed early and getting your stuff ready and all that. Um, Like you should use several of those and treat them as if they are a race day. Uh, try to do everything the same, try to wear exactly the same clothes if you can, if it's going to be the same weather or whatever. Uh, try to eat exactly the foods that you will eat. And, and like, really, you can you can use these to test things. So not just rehearse, but, like, test different things and say, how does this work? Like, if I drink this much water before I start actually running, uh, how does that work as far as having to go to the bathroom? Because it's not as easy necessarily. It might be on your long trail run, but on a race course, uh, like, a, say, a road marathon – 
going to the bathroom might not be quite as easy or convenient because you'll have to, and then you'll realize that there's lines at the porta pots mm-hmm. three miles in, and now you can't go, so now you have to hold it more. And I don't know, for me, like you, I always want to sort of minimize those number of things that are causing some sort of mental discomfort. Uh, it just makes it much easier to kind of zone out and run and not, not be tiring your brain out as well as your body. So um, as much as you can, just like sort of figure those things out. Like say, if this was race day, what would I be eating? And like, am I up early enough that I can eat this amount of food before the race? And how did that work? Or did I feel like there was stuff sloshing around in my stomach because I had something too close to that time I was running. I just think, I don't know, like you only get a handful of 18, 20 mile runs in a, in a training cycle, uh, for a marathon. And so I think you really should make good use of them. And, and just like, just like you, you want to eventually dial in that pace so that, you know, when you're at the start line, you know, what your pace is, what your target is, not necessarily your goal, but what you're going to start running at. Um, all these other things, these other factors you can sort of learn so that there's not uncertainty the night before and saying, Hey, what should I eat for dinner this night before the race? Uh, because you hopefully have already figured out one that worked pretty well for you. Absolutely. I used to, I used to almost be a little embarrassed by how much preparation I would and thought I would put into that kind of stuff before Mm -hmm. races, you know, because you saw experienced runners and you thought, oh, they're so laid back about all this and everything. But the truth is they're laid back about it because they know all this stuff already. Like they're not having to think it through because they just have been doing it for years. Mm -hmm. And, um, it makes a world of a difference if you're not scrambling to find all your gear or figure out what socks you want to wear that morning and, uh, or, or what, you know, what you want to carry with you or versus rely on an aid station for, you know, to have all that stuff planned out and packed ahead of time, even packed like two nights before Mm -hmm. and laid out two nights before. So, cause on race night, you're going to be dealing with all kinds of anxiety or the, before the night before the race, you're all kinds of anxiety already. So having all that taken care of, you know, a couple of days before, just means it's just less to think about and it's less to worry about. And, and then all you have to do is focus on being at the starting line at the right time and, uh, and being ready to run. Yeah. And I do think that stuff is a factor. I don't know this for sure, but I think, you know, my sense is that with especially ultra running, uh, like your body's going to tire out. It just, it just does. And then the, the remaining 40% of the race is about how much you don't want to quit, like how strong you are at not quitting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is true for marathons too. Cause like, you know, they say that first 20 miles is the first half and then the last six is the second half of the race because it's just, that's what it feels like. Um, and so it, it gets to this point where you're like, yes, of course it's still, you have to just tough it out physically. But the thing that keeps you doing it is your head. And I think if you can just minimize the amount of stress that you deal with in the hours before and the night before, uh, and, and in the early miles of the race too, if like, if you can just be focused on enjoying and relaxing and not, I don't like, I'm like in my Boston thing, I remember that when I actually qualified, I had made this mistake once. So I did great. I did great at just zoning out the first half, half of the race. I wasn't like getting all excited and telling the story in my head about how I was going to tell people how I qualified. Like, because in a previous race I had done that and I, cause I had been running with the pace group and I was right on track up to like 13 miles and then I just completely crashed. But I feel like I wasted so much energy just being like so excited about it. Um, mm-hmm. so as much as you can, like, I think if you can sort of preserve that and just relax, uh, that's, that's what you want. And I think like you just said, it, the less stuff that you have going on in your mind, that's going to cause you stress in the hours before just the more of that, I really just the willpower that you are preserving, uh, to, to help you not quit and help you keep going and help you not start walking in, in mile 22 of the race. Cause once you do, it's really hard to start running again. 
So uh, I think that's great advice. And I think, I think people don't realize that. Like it is so much a mental battle. Ultra running, I think it's more obvious. But even in a marathon, there's, there's such a mental part of it to, to, you know, keeping going rather than deciding that it's time to start walking. 100%. Absolutely. Cool. Good. All right. Well, it's been a while, Doug, since we did an actual practical tips episode instead of just whatever it is we do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it felt good. Hopefully people liked it. And um, yeah, I mean, I think that we'll have some some cool episodes coming up. So we're going to be t- trying some new things. And I don't know. I'm excited to see where where the podcast goes in the next few months. Cool. Me too. I am too. I, I, we have some good ideas in the works. Um, so I think it's going to be fun. All right. All right. Anything else from you, Matt? Nope. Real Matt Frazier on Instagram. <laughs> Hit it up. There's been a post has gone up since I last uh, oh, said that because of this hour man. break. It, t- it took me a couple hours, and it's a it's a gem of a post. <laughs> Can't wait to check it out. It's a picture of a bowl of cereal and a recipe. All right, but but it's uh, it took some time. But... <laughs> All, All right. right, thanks everybody. All right, thanks. <laughs>